0: This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk sport, powered by fans. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter.
1: Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
0: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by MuckDelivery, bringing you the food you love.
2: Welcome back to the channel and welcome back to another edition of the Spurs Chat Podcast. In this edition, we will be talking about all things Tottenham Hotspur. Of course, it is the international break, but as usual, we provide Tottenham Hotspur content every single day. I've got a very special guest with me, returning guest Ryan Taylor, of course, football reporter with the Daily Mirror and the Sunday Mirror. Ryan, it's been a long time. How are you?
1: It has been, Chris. Um, I've been very well, thanks. I hope you have been too. I know you've suffered a little bit of... um... Pain recently with the back-to-back Tottenham defeats, but I'm sure you'll overall be very happy with what you've seen so far from from Big Ange.
2: Well, Ryan, I'm going to start with the uh, with the positives because, of course, Spurs went on a, a ten-match unbeaten run, winning eight and drawing two. Uh, many people doubted Ange Postecoglou's appointment in the summer, many Spurs fans included. Uh, what have you made of the appointment of Ange Postecoglou? What have you made of Tottenham's opening? 12 games. I know, of course, you've mentioned there it has been a pretty dismal week for us. Of course, injuries, suspensions and so on. Uh, but what have you made of Antipos and Spurs so far?
1: Well, I think anyone who who hasn't viewed his start as, you know, incredibly fascinating and, and successful would be um, you know, stupid really because ultimately it's it's been a far cry from some of the drops that were served up last season under Antonio Conte. Um I was always a fan of of the Postacoglu appointment and uh, I know the narrative changes really quickly. But actually, if you cast your mind back to when Spurs were sort of looking for a new manager, he wasn't uh, a unanimously popular pick and he was actually quite far down Spurs' shortlist. Um, But the reason I liked it from the get-go was a few reasons, um, which... You know, it it will seem like I'm stating the obvious now. But at the time, there wasn't so many Tottenham fans that had sort of totally bought into Postacoglu. But he has a clear football vision and how he wants to play football. The football is an attractive brand of football. It's not like Conte and Mourinho's where, you know, a lot of the time Spurs were asked to defend for large periods of the game and counter-attack. It's possession-based. And he's got good, strong sort of values and, and, and managerial qualities in the sense that you know, from a manager, I want um, someone who has authority and, and leadership. Um, again, as I go back to Conte, that wasn't reflected at times during his tenure. But Poster is a strong figure with authority. And I really thought it was a chance just to wipe the slate clean and let him build from scratch. And I think I'd done my initial tweet said something, let him build and, and show patience. But obviously, you know, he completely threw that out the window in the sense he hit the ground running incredibly well. Um, even after losing Harry Kane, which, you know, is is admirable in itself. And, um, you know, if I was a Spurs fan, which I'm not for the record, I I would be very, very... I think it's important to be in love with with what you're watching and and be excited for every game. Um, And that just wasn't the case and hasn't been the case for the past few seasons. There's been spells. But I think now, genuinely, um, Spurs fans will really look forward to every game they play. And I, and I think that's a compliment
2: to Poster Coglu. Ryan, what have you made of the type of football that we've, uh, we've been seeing under Poster Coglu? Because, of course, um, I, I say this a lot. I, I haven't known a manager to come into a Premier League club and transform it so quickly um, in the way that he has done that. And I know we're going to talk about the January transfer shortly, uh, about the window. But, you know, going back to the summer window... You know the recruitment was so good at the football club it 's understood that An poster was heavily involved in uh, in that process. He made phone calls to players he wants them to be you know good people uh, before being a good footballer um, and, and, and 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 you know really come into what he wants them to do. but what have you made of the type of football that we 've been watching because you know, as, as you said, you're not a Spurs fan. You know, I go home and away every every week and, you know, to see uh, Jose Mourinho, Nuno Spirito, Santo, Antonio Conte to, to play that defensive style. Have mm-hmm. you been surprised on the impact that he has made so quickly?
1: I'm surprised on the speed of, of the impact he's made. I'm not surprised at the, the general impact because I think when you're going from a defensive brand of football to an attacking style of play, it's ultimately going to be viewed as something that's, you know, exciting and positive. But, as you mentioned, it's the speed of how quickly he's implemented those ideas. Um, and what I also find incredible really is that a lot of those players were actually there last season. I'm talking about, you know, Pape Saar, who's been incredible. I mean Basuma yeah. has been an absolute yeah. revelation. And and this is the player Tottenham hope they signed from Brighton. But I know he had some bad luck with injuries last season, but he, he wasn't anywhere near this kind of level and he wasn't really someone that was relied upon by Conte. Obviously, Hoiberg was a a dependable figure. That's not been the case this season. Um, And the likes of Porro. You know, Porro really struggled last season. I I went to a few games um, after he signed from Sporting and I wasn't really convinced about him, but he seems to have sort of settled now. You've got Destiny Udogi who's come in from Udinese. I think he's been a top sign-in. And Romero, I know it's hard to justify this because of his reckless... um, performance against Chelsea. But other than that, he's been, you know, almost transformed as a a leader. He's a, um, you know, there's a lot more, there's been a lot more maturity. And again, it doesn't stand, stand well against, you know, me saying this when he's just been sent off for a reckless challenge, which proves he's not totally reformed. But yeah, I mean, I've said it in a long winded way, but I think Postacoglu has taken this squad and he's, he's He's transformed a lot of the players he's got into into better versions of themselves, which I think is is a sign of a top top coach.
2: Right, and of course, uh, as I mentioned, the unbeaten run, those first ten games, sitting top of the Premier League, uh, winning eight and drawing two. A lot of Spurs fans, a lot of pundits, um, you know, a lot of pundits weren't even talking about Spurs before a ball was kicked in the Premier League. And then all of a sudden, a lot of newspapers were saying that Spurs are title contenders. You know, a lot of pundits on TV, on the radio, saying Spurs could win the league with this starting 11. Of course, Spurs fans who are very grounded, very on the fence and say, look, um, you know, an injury or two, this could derail us and it could be totally different. We have seen this in this past week, that Chelsea game, was very significant. Suspensions, injuries to key players. Um, at that point, you know, last week, were you were you one of the ones thinking Spurs could mount a challenge for the Premier League title? And how good do you think this squad is?
1: No, to be honest, um, because I, I feel like in this country we have a, a tendency to sort of run away with our thinking. I think it's important to, um, I mean, yes, when Spurs have all their players fit. And they were performing, you know, how they were prior to that Chelsea game. Of course, if they maintain that level of quality and availability, then you know Spurs would be contenders. But it was pretty obvious from the from the get go that you know if Spurs had injuries to key players such as Son, Madison, I'd probably include Basuma as well. Obviously, Van der Ven has become increasingly important so far. Yeah, the quality just isn't there in reserve. If you look at City, for example, if they had an injury. To Haaland, which don't get me wrong, would have a huge impact on City. They've got and Alvarez, or they've got, I don't know, they could probably play the false nine. And, and the point I'm trying to make is Spurs is starting 11, is probably as good as anyone's at the moment in the Premier League when it's, you know, fully fit. But, you know, yep. the depth isn't quite there yet. But that's not to say in the next few years it won't be. Um, so I think it, it's probably unrealistic to, to say Spurs work contenders. However, I think top four, you know, and to be honest, I was apprehensive as to whether Spurs would, would be top four contenders this season. And I think they're almost so a staple now. Um, I mean, I know there can still be a lot that changes. Chelsea seems to be on the up at the moment. And I know they're still 10 points behind or whatever. Um, and then it's, a lot can change. But I really don't see Spurs as a team that, you know, is going to go through one of these spells where they drop down the table considerably. I know they've had back-to-back defeats, but I think this is a small blip and I do think they'll come out the other side.
2: Ryan, if I can put you on the spot here, um, if I asked you to predict four teams that will finish in the top four, from what you've seen so far this season, who would you predict now to finish in those top four spots?
1: I think obviously Manchester City, in my opinion, will will win the league Um, despite the draw yesterday. I think Liverpool or Arsenal will be second um, and then whoever isn't out of that side will be third and then I think Spurs will be fourth and you know I know it's probably not um, popular to come onto a Spurs channel and say that Arsenal will finish above Tottenham but I think they've got a little bit more depth to be honest and I think the, the duration of the injuries to Van De Ven and Madison will be quite significant really because you know that Spurs are going to be without these players for a considerable amount of time and once um once uh, club football returns from the international break, the fixtures come really fast, um, thick and fast. Yeah. You, you've got the midweek December games in the Prem, and you know you, you're going through like almost three games a week when that midweek uh, game is is pencilled in in December. So I think a lot of points can be won and lost during that duration. Um, I also I've said this from the start of the season, and a lot of people have said I don't think they've got the depth to to continue it but I, I just really feel like Aston Villa are a force to be reckoned with um, again I do think if they get injuries it'll be interesting to see um, yeah. how much this Thursday Sunday business you know takes a toll on the squad but I think if Emery gets a few signings in January I think they've got the um, certainly the home form to, to you know really keep keep pace with uh, the other competitors for the, the top four so I'm interested to see I, I'm not prepared to write Villa off in the top four race but Yeah, Spurs would be in there for me at the moment.
2: Yeah, I completely agree, Ryan. I think Aston Villa have been excellent so far under Emery. And of course, that is our next Premier League game in 13 days' time at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Now, um, the wins so far that that Spurs have had in the Premier League against Manchester United, Bournemouth, Burnley, Sheffield United, Liverpool, Luton, Fulham, Crystal Palace and the draws against Brentford and Arsenal. uh, There seems to be a narrative uh, quite a lot, certainly in the media, that Spurs haven't played anyone yet. Do you, do you do you agree with that, or, or or do you think that Spurs played well in these games, deserve the wins, deserve the results, and can go on? I know obviously you've just said that Spurs, you know, may get in that top four, which I think would be a hugely successful season uh, under Postacoglu in his first season. But what have you made of the teams that we have played so far?
1: To be honest, I never really read too much into that. I think um, something I would say is you know we'll see how good Spurs are and any other side are when they play against the top teams in the away fixtures really I think yeah. you've got to beat, beat a lot of the top sides at home and generally you know when Spurs have been up there in the Champions League um, in Champions League contention over the years I think they've got a really good home record against some of the big sides um, but going back to your point I don't think there is any game in the Premier League that is a an easy game I mean two examples from a Spurs perspective Luton away, which obviously you had 10 men for the, the second half, but 1-0. And Sheffield yep. United, um, Spurs only won by the skin of their teeth. And you'd say those two teams are two of the you know, guaranteed wins almost in the Premier League. So I don't think there's any easy fixtures. However, what I would say is I think we'll see how good Spurs really are when they you know play the likes of City away. And I still think that's the same with Liverpool at the moment and, and Arsenal. Because if Liverpool, for instance, have to go to City away and... Um, after the international break, and everyone's saying, "Oh, Liverpool are doing so well." You know, they're they're top, they're title contenders. But I think I, I struggle to see Liverpool winning at the Etihad or getting a, a result, which to me suggests they're not quite on City's level at the moment. However, um, you know, we've seen this season. There's been so many unpredictable results, so you you can't really, um, you know, until we see what happens, you can't you can't say anything's guaranteed at the moment.
2: Ryan, what have you made of Tottenham in the last week? Because, of course, we were flying high. Uh, The Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, I tell you what, has been like a party atmosphere. Even Andrew's turned around and said that it's been like a nightclub, you know, in the dressing room, in the stadium. It really has been awesome um, in in the last couple of months since Poster Coglio has arrived. Uh, The results and the atmosphere and the fans have just been on such a high. Uh, But, of course, we do have, uh, or we have had, uh, two defeats this week, which uh, the mood seems to be pretty low at the moment. The fans were as I say on such a high, and now it just seems like you know back down to reality. Two defeats. What did you make of the uh, the Chelsea defeat on Monday evening, and of course uh, the Wolves game on Saturday?
1: Well, I'll we'll start with Chelsea, and I have to say I'm in the I'm of the opinion that I, I found it completely ridiculous to see Spurs defending on the halfway line with nine men. And I know you know I, I've seen what Postacoglu said, and you know I admire his courage and you know, his um his commitment to his identity and what he wants to do. But if you see, if you re- uh, recall Liverpool and how they defended against Spurs when they had nine men, it can be incredibly difficult. And to me, Chelsea are a team, I mean, even if you look at the game yesterday, Chelsea are a team that have success when there's space to attack, you know, when they can get in behind, when they can get the likes of Sterling and Jackson. But when there's a deep block and they have to break teams down, they're one of the teams that struggle to um you know have answers and if you look at the Brentford game when they were beaten 2-0 recently they didn't know how to get through and they 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 tended to panic i mean i know it's different when you have nine men obviously it was a long time for spurs to defend with yeah. nine men but i really just felt you know for a premier league team they are they are a premier league team is eventually going to find the quality to pick off that high line you know i know they had so many offsides and you know it was painful watching chelsea trying to get through but i really just felt like Tottenham almost threw the game at that point because it was obvious Chelsea were going to beat that offside trap at one point. Um, however, as I said, I really admire what Postecoglou is trying to do. Um, you know, he's he's different and he's got that character. And I, I think Spurs fans loved the fact that you know what what he done that day and what he come out and said. Um, so there's no problems there. And in terms of the Wolves game, I mean, I didn't see it because I was driving to Bournemouth um, on Saturday, but I was listening on the radio. And it really sounded to me, even until up to stoppage time, that um, I think it was Sam Matterface said, it feels like Wolves have, have felt, have conceded that they're not going to score today. And to me, that sounded like Spurs were were comfortable. I mean, I know things can change in the Premier League, but I was actually thinking as I was driving, you know, Spurs, if they win this 1-0, that is what a result that is, considering, you know, they've lost Van Der Ven and Madison, And I just feel like that will really sting that result. And the international break might have actually come at a good time, because although it will hurt and you'll want to get back out on the pitch and, and really make amends for that, I feel like Spurs have now got the chance just to reset and just regain composure, because it's been a bit of a strange week. Yeah. I don't feel like for from what I've seen on match of the day that Spurs really you know threw that game away. I feel like Wolves just found a level that was really hard to um to stop them at, at the time. I don't feel like Spurs threw it away. I think Wolves just just seized the initiative at the time. Um but it will sting for for Tottenham and Again, I think the break's come at a good time because if they they drew or lost in the next game, it becomes a more significant blip than just a poor week, if that makes sense.
2: It, it was it was a really different uh, game to watch to, to what we've watched this season so far. I must say, Ryan, we only had two shots on target. And, of course, there were a number of changes that Ange was forced into making because of the injuries and suspensions. Now, you mentioned earlier that games are coming thick and fast. Of course, when the international break ends, uh, we face Aston Villa at home. And then in December, we've got seven fixtures Um, City away, West Ham at home, Newcastle at home, Forest away, Everton at home, Brighton away and Bournemouth at home. Now, Spurs so far this season, because we got knocked out of the Carabao Cup so early uh, at the end of August in the second round, um, we used to plan one game a week. How on earth do you think that Spurs going to cope, Postacoglu is going to cope with games coming thick and fast like this? And when you think as well that the Aston Villa game, the City game away, we're without Chris, Christian Romero. Uh, all of these games are going to be without Madison and Van de Ven. Uh, Basuma is also suspended for the Aston Villa home game, I might add. Um, yeah. How do you think we're going to cope with, uh, with that hectic schedule in December?
1: I think Spurs will probably... I mean, given... What you've been used to in the opening months of the season, I think it—you know—it could take a turn for the worse, unfortunately. But that's not to say it's—it's it's not going to get better in the new year. I think the—the the transfer window is going to be significant for Tottenham. I know we're going to come onto that, but I—I I feel like Spurs will be incredibly active, and I think you know this is a chance for them to finally—you know—after several several years of um, you know struggles and a lack of progress, I think this is the best position Spurs have been in for a long time. So, I think Spurs will look to build on that. Obviously. There is a, a, still a lot of cash left from the Harry Kane transfer. I think Brennan Johnson was the only player that was signed um, since since Kane joined Bayern Munich. So I feel like there's enough cash there to to make a couple more quality additions. Spurs have just got to see it through till January and it's going to be tough because Van der Ven and Madison are two players that are actually quite hard to replace in terms of their profile within the squad. Um, and it's going to take a lot of character to to pull results out of the bag against these these teams such as Villa and, and City when Spurs are going through a little bit of a, a rough patch at the moment. So, I do think Spurs might struggle, um, but I still think they've got enough to remain in the in the top four mix. And ultimately, that's the the primary objective. I think if you said at the start of the season, Spurs will get back in the Champions League. Given their seven teams now, you know, strong competitors, I think Spurs would have snapped your hand off for that. So, I think although you, you can allow yourself to get carried away and dream when you're sitting at the top of the table after 10 matches. I feel like Spurs fans probably need to be realistic at the moment and you know realize that that you know top four is is the main goal.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
2: Ryan, I'm a lot older now. I'm, 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 more, uh, I'm more grounded. I used to be, get so carried away by these things, but not anymore. Um, you know, I've seen so many things go wrong. Um, of course, you report on football every single day. Uh, you watch so many games. Um, is it fair to say that James Madison, signing of the summer?
1: I'd have to probably look at all the transfers, Chris, but he's certainly up there. I mean, I tweeted something um, just a few games into the season. I mean, I've always loved Madison. Um, I know there's certain people that are not keen on Madison as not just the player but his his all-round sort of um, personality. Pardon? Who's not keen on him? My dad being one. (laughs) (laughs) I have to tell him off sometimes but you know, as a player I really appreciate Madison and I know he's got this level of arrogance but I think it's all part of his repertoire but the point I'm trying to make is I I knew that whoever signed Madison from Leicester he was going to be he was going to you know, hit that next level because he's got so much quality and his efficiency, his final ball. You know, his numbers. He's a runner. He's such an intelligent player, and I think that was a great piece of business from Spurs, particularly with Harry Winks going the other way for ten million. I mean, I do think. I mean, Leicester are flying, so it's it's not really been an issue. But I do think they um they were really on the receiving end of a poor deal there. You know, I know it was a separate transfer, but. You know, Spurs effectively got Madison for £30 million, which is um, a steal. Yeah.
2: Ryan, what other Tottenham Hotspur players have impressed you so far this season? And who, who do you think that Ange Postacoglu can get that little bit more out of and improve?
1: Um, I would say one player in particular that's impressed me, that's gone under the radar, really, um, is Brennan Johnson. I mean, the last two games, you know, he scored against Chelsea when it was offside. Uh, no, he put the ball in for Son, Sorry. Put the ball in for Son then he scored against Wolves. And I, I, I'll i be honest, I when uh, Spurs signed Johnson, I wasn't sure that he was the right fit for for what Tottenham are trying to do, um, yeah. particularly given he's probably best out wide right where Kulishevsky plays. And uh, yeah. I know he's been playing multiple positions, but I was a little bit, I'm sure. I love him as a player, great age, only going to get better. Um, but actually, I've seen in the past few matches and at Arsenal as well, in the 2 will draw at Arsenal, and that, that Johnson is, I think he could be a top, top player for Tottenham. I think that's a great signing. Um, in terms of other players, I mean, the obvious ones, Vicario Van De Ven, Madison, we touched upon, Udogi. You know, all the signings have been really good. Um, but I'd say Pape Sar as well. I think, you know, yeah. given his age, he's, he's a monster, really, in, in terms of what, he's doing at Spurs at the moment in terms of, you know, breaking up the play. He's a ball carrier. Um, I think he, he'll he be missed in January alongside Basuma when he goes to AFCON. Um, and I think that's a great signing from Spurs because it's, it's one of those transfers that, that when it happens, you think, ah, oh, he's probably not even going to play for us before we sell him to, you know, back to France for a couple million and we'll probably lose money on him. But, you know, actually I think he's got a big future at Spurs and in the Premier League. So I think that is a, is turning out to be a great piece of business from from Tottenham.
2: I think it's fair to say as well that Hunmin Son's been on fire with the amount of goals he yeah, scored in the Premier League. Um, do you think he's got a chance at the Golden Boot with the the amount of uh, chances that Spurs create in this side? I don't know because obviously
1: Haaland is just... It, it, he spoils everyone's fun, really, because he takes the shine off the likes of Salah and Son. Because, um, you know, even Salah's having an incredible season again. But because Haaland obviously keeps sticking the ball in the back of the net i don't think they quite get the praise they deserve i think the burnley game was the cuz when kane went to buy munich I, I was of the opinion that spurs were you know in deep trouble now but actually that burnley game i remember seeing just son's quality through the middle and there's there's been so many times that when kane's had his various ankle injuries and hamstring injuries yeah. you know when spurs had son and mora through the middle certainly in those champions league games that you know years ago now they were always so dangerous, particularly Son. You know, he's, yeah. he just, he's such an elite finisher with both feet. You know, he runs in behind his movement. And actually, I think Kane going in a weird way has actually, you know, been beneficial to Tottenham's evolution, really, which seems crazy to say, because don't get me wrong, love Kane, think he's an absolutely world-class operator. But I think just that unpredictability now of Spurs' attack, which has got dyna- dynamism, uh, with Son's runs, I think, you know, it's, it's really benefited Spurs. And I I mean, if Son can stay injury free, I can see him hitting 25 goals in the Prem, which would be, a you know, an awesome return, really.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ryan, you mentioned Brennan Johnson earlier. Um, of course, he's uh, replaced Richarlison in the team. He's currently uh, out injured, just had surgery, expected to be back uh, middle of December. Are you a Richarlison fan? Um, do you think he's going to be a, a huge hit? at Spurs in the future, because uh, reports today from various national newspapers stating that there is interest, and we have heard this before, interest from the Saudi league on Richarlison. Um, Do you think that somehow it's going to turn around for him at Spurs and he will be successful?
1: I don't. I think I've touched upon this before with you, Chris. I think Richarlison was a little bit of a strange signing from Spurs because I don't know, really. It's strange. I mean, his numbers at Everton were good, but I think he was largely most effective sort of playing with Calvert Lewin. Um, And I know he has come from the left at Everton for a large part of his time there, but he just doesn't really seem to fit Tottenham stylistically. I think a lot of Tottenham's players in their final third are sort of slick players with great technical quality that can move the ball at speed, they can run in behind. And Richarlison's a little bit clunky. That's the word I'm going to use because. Although he's effective at times, he's a great header of the ball um, and he's strong. But I think, as I mentioned when I was talking about Son, that the dynamism about Spurs' front line is to me what is the most dangerous. Kulisevsky, you know, Son Johnson, all these players sort of buzzing around the box, and you know they're good dribblers. They use the ball well. Um, Richarlison doesn't quite fit into that, and I think he really struggled when he had that spell in the side as a centre forward before Son came in. Um, and on the left, he, to be fair, he's been a lot better than I thought. He, he was really good against Liverpool um, and he's had a couple of good games. But I just don't see it working out long term. I really found Richarlison an uncomfortable fit. I think it's not through the want of trying because everyone wants it to work. I think Richarlison's worked hard. You know, Poster Cogley's given him a, a fair run of games. And, uh, you know, even when he's not played particularly well. But I just don't really see it quite working out. But I might be proven wrong um, because... Now, ultimately, Ange is still seeing something in him. Um, But he just seems not quite a natural fit, in my opinion.
2: Can I ask, then, if Spurs got a decent offer in the January transfer window, do you think they may let him go?
1: I mean, I'm not sure how realistic that is, to be honest. But I think there's so many multiple factors that are involved in the transfer. You know, what Pastor Coglu thinks of him, what the club think of him, whether Richarlison wants to stay what kind of money we're talking, you know, what kind of offer it is, whether it's to stay in Europe or go to Saudi Arabia. Um, But I think if Spurs got the chance to make most of their money back on him, I think they probably would consider it, yeah, because I think probably for that kind of cash, they could probably sign a player that would be, you know, more effective in their team.
2: Right, let's move on to talk about Christian Romero. You mentioned, uh, or you said the word reckless uh, in your challenge against Chelsea. Um, 60 Premier League appearances for Spurs. He's received 18 yellow cards, uh, an average of uh, a yellow card every 3.33 games. Um, 75 appearances for Tottenham in all competitions, um, four red cards, an average of uh, a red card every 18 games. Now, the challenge against Chelsea, I, I you know, do you know what? I, I don't have a problem with him uh, receiving the red card. I thought it was a red card. And Poster said exactly the same. On TV, Joe Cole, uh, said it's reckless, it's dangerous, he's followed through, it is a red card. Uh, Spurs legend, of course, former manager Glenn Hoddle said, I don't agree for the sake of football, uh, he's actually won the ball. Um, where do you sit on it? Do you, do you think that that was a red card? And how, how do you think that Rom- Romero can uh, change his game in that way? Because, you know, he is now a vice captain. He has really uh, been a leader on the pitch this season, you know, in those opening 10 games, you know, it's it's very disappointing to see two of your players, you know, against one of your London rivals. Yes, you want a Gretchen in the game, uh, but to see two players get a red card. And then of course, Romero now being suspended for three games in total, it is frustrating because we need someone like that on the pitch. How does he uh, somehow delete this recklessness from his game?
1: I don't think he's ever going to quite lose that kind of edge because it's part of what makes him great. You know, his mentality you know, he's a natural defender that who loves defending. He loves to tackle, strong in the air. Uh, and, you know, he's a South American. And, you know, South Americans are sort of, you know, renowned for being those passionate, fiery characters. Um, so I don't think you can necessarily take it out of him, you know, by manufacturing that and, you know, coaching it out of him. I just think he needs to be smarter. And I think, you know, he needs to, to learn how to control those sort of emotions. Because... I mean, going back to the tackle, I thought, yeah, it was a red card. And yes, he did absolutely win the ball before, but he knows what he's doing when he's following through. And, you know, there's been a lot of tackles like that in the Premier League in in recent years that people say, oh, he's won the ball first, he can't move his foot after. But I think Romero knows exactly what he's doing there. And, you know, maybe five years ago, you would have got away with that challenge. Um, And certainly, you know, in you know, 30 years ago or whatever, it would be perceived as a great challenge and lauded. But I think the game has changed now with with VAR, obviously, you know, everything's under the microscope. Um, And to say, you know, how can Romero change? Well, the truth is, Chris, he has has changed this season other than that game. Because if you take that out, I think Romero's actually been a composed, calm figure that, you know, Spurs fans have, have wanted for a long time. And, I was really sort of um, pounced upon by Spurs fans at the end of last season, I think it was after the AC Milan game, when I I criticised Romero um, and his sort of, you know, the fact he's a loose cannon and just the fact that I I hadn't really seen, you know, the the player that Spurs fans seem to, you know, claim that they have. Um, Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but, you know, when he was signed, it was a really exciting signing for Tottenham and... He hasn't really lived up to expectations just yet, but then he played at the World Cup with Argentina and was absolutely incredible, won the, the competition. Um, but he just seemed to be so reckless when he was, you know, playing for Tottenham. So I think we have seen a maturity this season. I think he just got caught up in the emotion of the Chelsea game, which is, of course, a derby. Spurs were fired up because they were top. I think they, the fact they started well probably didn't help Spurs either because I think it... You know, when you feel that energy inside the stadium, I think, you know, the adrenaline is pumping. And I think Romero just probably wanted to, to smash a few people, but she kicked out as well, which I think was stupidity of the highest order with VAR. Although, you know, there wasn't much contact in it, it wasn't really a forceful kick out. It, it's still stupid. So I think Postacoglu needs to try and somehow diffuse that sort of, um, mm. That fiery edge that's inside of him. But again, as I mentioned, I think he's one of those players that will always have that sort of, um, you know, that that energy with with inside him, unfortunately, because it's it's in his DNA.
2: Well, Messi said he's the best defender in the world. So who's going to argue with him? Um, Ryan, one of your tweets yesterday that I looked at, um, farcical again, V-A-R. Talk yeah. to me about VAR. What have you made as a journalist covering football every single day? What have you made of VAR so far this season? Because it just seems that pundits, fans, journalists, all we're ever talking about is VAR rather than, you know, some of the key incidents in the game, i.e. goals.
1: Yeah. It's enough to make you sick, Chris. It really is. You know, some of these games you watch and it's just spoiled. I mean, the Chelsea, the Chelsea Tottenham one was just, I mean... I'm of the opinion that the, the VAR actually sort of improved the uh, the en- enjoyment levels in that game for, for, for a neutral because it was just carnage. But, I mean, generally speaking, some of the calls this season, I mean, the Liverpool-Tottenham controversy was just scandalous. Um, thankfully, yesterday, the football actually, you know, ended up being the winner as opposed to VAR. I, I really felt as though Harland, it was pretty obvious, sort of... Um, tussled with Cucurella. It gave as good as he got before he was brought down, which I just didn't think it was a penalty. Um, But I think it's gone too far now because the issue you have is, say we say, you know, let's get rid of VAR from next season. There's only uh, goal line technology. That's the only form of technology we're going to be using. It's just going to have that situation where there's going to be, you know, human errors from the referees that we're going to be saying you know, I wish we had VAR to correct that because it's so blatantly wrong. So we, we, we've shot ourselves in the foot really, but I feel like the VAR has just become too much of an obsession. You know, every little thing, it's like the Haaland goal, the second Haaland goal yesterday where he sort of uh, scrambled the ball over the line. You know, they were looking at the elbow and all that nonsense. It's just utterly. The ball was behind him. I know it's just, it's scandalous really. And, um, the only thing I would like to see implemented is the automated of sides that we've seen in yes. the Champions League. So I think they're absolutely brilliant. Yes. They save all the, the lines and the faffing and the pressure. Um, but it's it's really become so frustrating now, the, the VAR um, situation. It's, it's just become utterly ridiculous. And, you know, I really hope things improve because, as you mentioned, I mean, I'm a fan as opposed to a journalist, you know, in general. but you know, as a journalist, it makes your job so difficult because when you're inside that stadium, you you really don't have a clue at times what's going on and you know, it's not often well, sorry, it's not a guarantee that the little screen you have on your press desk is working. Yeah. I've had a few times this season where I've been sat at a desk where there's no the monitor on my desk doesn't work so, you know, it's, it's anyone's guess When you don't get to see replays so you have to rely yeah. on social media and Uh, you know, BBC live blogs to actually understand what's happening. So it it can be such a challenge, but um, I mean, I don't know what the solution is, honestly.
2: Do you think it's ever going to be uh, or ever be a stage where fans will actually know live what's happening? Do you think they'll ever put it on the screens for the fans to see exactly what they're doing or they're discussing? Because uh, Poster said in a press conference a week or so ago that, you know, he he thinks he's going to go down the route of, uh, you know, the the referees then having to to explain everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I really liked what what Anne said about, you know, when he was younger, referees were like policemen and you were scared of them because there was that yeah. authority and you know ultimately when i played football as a, a kid i mean i'm not too old i'm i'm 26 but you know when i was playing youth football i I, was, I felt the same you know referees were the ultimate authority on the field of play and you respected what they said but i just think in the past 10 years their power has totally been diminished i mean i i always say nowadays you know i still play sunday league like who would want to be a referee because you're pretty much being berated for 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, and I respect them. I think fair play to them. You know, if anyone's brave enough to do it, fair play to them. And, and certainly at the highest level in the Premier League, I, I really feel as though the pressure they must be under now, you know, p- p- even the people in the VAR room at Stockley Park, you know, we all say, like, how can they not see that? But can you imagine how scrambled your brain must be when you know the watching world is, is waiting yeah. for you on this decision? It must be, you know, it must be, it must be soul-destroying at times, to be honest. But I've just seen one of the comments on the side of the screen here. Um, How how often do Championship managers complain about the lack of VAR? I mean, totally right. I've, I've heard Neil Warnock say a lot of times, you know, in the Championship, you just get on with it. If a referee makes a mistake, you're going to be on the end of some bad ones. But yeah. I would like to see football to go back to that, unfortunately. And I know it's hard because, as, as I just mentioned, you know, we're always going to be in this situation now where it's going to be, oh the referees made a mistake. I wish we had VAR to correct that, but I think we'd we'd just have to get over that. I think there should be a vote at the end of the season in the Premier League. All 20 club managers vote. Do you want VAR? You know, majority wins. And I I think everyone would vote no VAR. I really do. Wow,
2: that'd be interesting. Uh, Ryan, just before we come on to the transfer window, just very quickly, uh, I wanted to ask your opinion because uh, there were a record uh, 14 sackings last season in the Premier League. Uh, we're now in November. No Premier League manager has been sacked. Who's going to be the first?
1: Cool, you've thrown me under pressure there. I mean, a lot of the managers seem to have sort of bought themselves some time. I'm talking about Ten Hag, um, Paul Heckenbottom, Iriola as well. I I mean, it w- I would say a couple of weeks ago, it looked like we were days away from our first sacking. But mm. it's hard to say. I think it sounds crazy... But I think Vincent Company, maybe, which okay. sounds incredible because obviously he done such an amazing job last season. Yeah. But I don't think yeah. this can go on. I think, you yeah. know, when Luton and Sheffield United are picking up points, I think Burnley really have to sort of look at that and scrutinize, you know, what, what they're doing this season. I think they started the season quite well. I think some of their performances were decent, but I think Burnley are the sort of club that roll the dice when you know, they, they could bring in someone like a big Sam just to try and get him up, which would be a shame because I, company stock was so high last summer. You know, he was linked with Tottenham and Chelsea, but it's not quite clicking. I, I don't think they can play this expansive style of football in the Premier League.
2: Yeah, we've, we've seen that so often. Clubs want to stick by their manager. But of course, uh, as, as, it, as it gets closer to the end of the season, they want to stay in the Premier League. That is the main thing. Yeah. Um, Ryan, let's talk about the transfer window. Um, the January window now is only 48 days away. As I mentioned earlier, and, and it's very evident that Spurs had a, a fantastic window in the summer. Yeah. Are we going to have a fantastic January transfer window, in your opinion? Because, of course, scouts have changed at the football club. Director of football has changed. Lots of backroom staff has changed at the football club. You know, that that's the great thing about Tottenham uh, since Antipo Stokoglu has arrived, that every single week something has improved. Um, who are the targets... What are the positions that Spurs will be going after? Um, I'm going to throw some names at you as well. Um, recent reports, I've seen that Spurs are interested in Trevor Chalaber of Chelsea, Lloyd Kelly of Bournemouth. Of course, he was a name on the list in the summer. Victor Nelson, I see all the time. Galatasaray, he's not signing a new contract. Anyone else?
1: There's a few, Chris. And um, I think the, the mentions of, of Trevor Chalaber and Lloyd Kelly were important because I think Spurs would like to sign another homegrown player. Um, obviously, there is a, a quota nowadays that you need at least eight homegrown players in your squad, um, and the reason I say that is because actually last summer, if you look at Spurs' squads, um, they were running quite low on on homegrown players. So it is an important asset for them. And and Tanganga is a player that um, you know eventually will will leave the club. Um, yeah. So I think Spurs need to to look at maybe an Englishman, but. The name, uh, another name that you haven't mentioned is Mark Gahey. I think he is, from what I understand, he is one of the, the leading centre-back targets. I mean, it's pretty obvious that Palace are not going to give him up without you know, demanding a, an excessive fee. Um, however, he's really appreciated by Spurs. Um, obviously, Johan Lange has come in now, but I think Gahey is a player that's been tracked by Tottenham for some time. He was really appreciated by Paratici, he was course. Still involved with the club on a consultancy basis, I believe. Um, so a lot of their targets are being carried over from you know previous windows, particularly the summer when Ans wanted to bring in a second centre-back. Chief Davinson Sanchez went to Galatasaray and they didn't quite get the time to bring in a replacement. Um, but I think that will be amended in January. The other names, Edmund tapsoba who was, of course, looked at in, in the summer as well. problem they've got is Bayer Leverkusen are flying at the top of the league at the moment in Germany. So, you know, not going to be interested, really, in a mid-season sale. Um, Piero Hinsapai, as well, was another player that's been scouted by Spurs. I've talked about him on here before. Left-sided defender, um, again, of by Leverkusen. And the other one that was that was concrete interest in was Per Scherz of Torino. But he mm-hmm. suffered a, an ACL injury at the end of October, which is um, going to sideline him for quite some time. So, I think, obviously, the landscape shifted on that one. I do also expect Spurs to, to look at a midfielder. I think, obviously, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg's future will be up for debate. Um, he was attracting interest from Atletico Madrid, uh, Fulham and Manchester United in the summer. But Juventus are looking at him now. Atletico still like him. And, you know, with the Euros coming up with Denmark, he'll want to play regularly. Um, but the interesting factor, which I have written about in the past few weeks, is obviously Spurs lose Basuma and Sark in yeah. January to AFCON. So I'm not sure whether Spurs will be totally all for losing Hoiberg unless they get a suitable replacement in. Um, but I expect Spurs to be very active in, in in January. As I said, I mean, I'm not sure how much financial muscle they have, but I still think this is an area where there could be movement. Obviously, Dyer's a player that's in the final six months of his contract. I actually expect him to stay because I think he wants to see out his deal until the summer and then sign a... A pre-contract yep. agreement elsewhere, so he can earn a bigger salary. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I think Spurs' is, is forward line is probably where I'd expect to see. I, I don't expect to see huge movement there. But then again, you know, Kane did go, so I don't know whether Spurs might actually look to go big on strike a striker like Ivan Tony. But I think personally that the, the centre back and central midfield would be the the two areas of priority really.
2: Ryan, every chairman always says that it's very difficult to get deals done in the January window. You've said that you expect good business from Spurs this window. How many players are we talking? Do you reckon?
1: It's hard to say at the moment, Chris, because I think you know only those inside the club really know you know how much money they've got, what exactly they they need and require, what players they're looking to move on so they can bring in new players. So there's multiple factors in play. I would say two or three decent signings. I think we could potentially see um, from Tottenham. And again, I think there are specific areas of the pitch that Tottenham are, are looking to improve in. It's not like a, a window where they're so far off that they need to completely overhaul their squad. It's, it's specific signings that and Posta would demand and poster will have the final say on, on sign So I think that's an important factor. And, um, Again, I I think one area Spurs could look to operate and and capitalize on is you know you saw at Celtic some of the the Asian players that Postacoglu signed for yeah. the J League in Japan. Yeah, I think look at Matoma uh, at Brighton, um, which Postacoglu's actually come out and said you know he wanted to bring Matoma to Celtic, but Brighton were already one step ahead again ahead of the game. Sorry, because Matoma tore his um his uh, Japanese side apart when he was uh, managing in the Far East. So I think that's a market that Spurs might look to explore. Obviously, Ch- Celtic have got quite a few handy, um, you know, Japanese players and, and Korean players. Kyogo being one. There's Dyson Maeda, Ryo So I'd be interested to, to see if Spurs look to maybe explore that. Um, but Johan Lange is a, a sporting director that's big on data. Um, yeah. So I, I think that, could be an interesting factor for Spurs because usually they've signed a lot of players that sort of Paratici knew, uh, Kulusevski. So I think their recruitment could be, um, quite interesting now. So I think it could be sort of younger players that you know have the potential to explode. Um, as we've seen, there's been a bit of success with that on the front with uh, with Saar and uh, you know, Johnson this season. So I- I'm intrigued to see what happens. Uh,
2: Brian, very last question for you. I just want to give you uh, three names. Lo Celso, uh, Brian Hill and Tongui Ndombele. Of course, Ndombele is on loan at the moment. Yeah. There has been reports in the last couple of weeks about, uh, you know, these stories about him ordering a hamburger. He's had a fallout with the manager. They, they might, may send him back in the January window. Uh, Lo Celso and Brian Hill, of course, they made sub appearances at Wolves at the weekend. Are they going to get chances or is their time up at the club now? Do you think that they will leave in January?
1: I think Postacoglu likes Brian Hill. Um, the issue he has is obviously, you know, Kulusevski is one of these players that's you know just been a, a staple for for Tottenham really. So it's difficult. Um, in terms of Lo Celso, Postacoglu actually was a key driving force behind him staying at the club this summer, but it just hasn't worked out for him because Pesuma and Saur have been so good. Obviously, Madison is probably the player that you know Lo Celso would take the position of if he was to get into the starting eleven. He's mm. sort of halfway between an eight and a ten, really. Um, but I expect Lo Celso to probably leave now. I really do. I think he needs to play regular football, and obviously he struggled to stay fit. I just don't think it's going to work out at Spurs, unfortunately, which is a shame because he was a, a top player yep. when they brought him to the club. Um, yep. As for Dombele, I think the writing's on the wall for him, unfortunately. I, I can't comment on the, uh, the Galatasaray stories because I, I Galatasaray stories because I don't have any knowledge and information on those. And I don't know if they're accurate, but I think it's pretty clear that, you know, Postacoglu wanted to move him on after what he saw from him in the summer in pre-season when he had a, you know, a fresh chance to to start fresh. But um, it's a shame because we all know the
2: talent's there, but it's just not worked out. Ryan, as usual, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for your insight. Um, you for where can you. people find you on social media, what you're up to, and uh, how's the YouTube channel going? Is it still going? <laughs> it's on
1: its last legs
2: at the moment, I think. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> the, pro- the problem I have is, you
1: know, outside of the transfer window, there isn't much use for the channel. And, you know, my role is so demanding that I, I don't have time to, you know, do do the video. But I think what i thought about doing is, you know, now I'm out in a, about at grounds and at games and press conferences you know doing more regular content with the channel not just um, inside the transfer window so I think that's a watch this space but um, I can be found on social media on Twitter at, at Ryan Taylor Sport or X as it's, it's called nowadays and same on Facebook um, Instagram as well Ryan Taylor Sport I, I, I do tend to post regular stuff but see when the transfer window is open that's when I'm most busiest but no, I'm yeah. I'm hoping to cover a bit more Spurs because I'm I'm doing a lot of London football and and South football, so bright a bit of Brighton and Bournemouth as well. Um, so hopefully I'll have a lot of stories for you to discuss on your on your channel in the coming months.
2: Well, Ryan, I know how busy you are, and uh, you know that's why I'm so thankful thankful for you to come on. Not so thank you so much, it indeed. Awesome. And And hopefully we can have you back in the January transfer window uh, if you get time. Um, Thanks so much and uh, hope hope to speak to you soon. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening and uh, I'll see you again soon. Come on, you Spurs.
0: days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.